Yeah, I give them what 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 some fans have said jokingly, the epitome of meh. <laughs> Welcome to the Exploring Washington State Podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Welcome to this episode of the Exploring Washington State Podcast. I'm joined today by James Woolard. James is the PA announcer for the Seattle Sounders. And for any of you that have been to a Sounders uh, match, you've heard him in, in the stands. James, your accent, are you from, is it Linwood? What? <laughs> Not exactly. Not exactly. Okay. So I, I can't quite place it. Um, no, in all seriousness, yeah. welcome to the show. And then. Thank you. How did you end up in Seattle? Yeah, it's a quite a long story, I guess. Um, I grew up in the United Kingdom, in England, to be precise, uh, in a place uh, called Cambridge, which is about an hour north of London. Um, I actually grew up on a farm. Um, my father was a farmer in Cambridgeshire, so rural part of Cambridgeshire. And um, yeah, I had a, like a childhood on the farm, uh, which was fun. Um, went to the local uh, state schools, um, government schools, as you'd call them here. And uh, eventually, uh, went off to college and studied geography and uh, ended up being a teacher of geography um, in the UK. Um, never really had any plans to live abroad. I liked traveling, but never thought it was um, a possibility that I would live in another country permanently. But in, let's see, 1998, I decided uh, to explore opportunities abroad. Uh, teaching is one of those professions which does actually allow you to travel quite easily. Um, teachers are in demand around the world, especially if you can speak English. It's pretty easy to get jobs in foreign countries. Um, <clears throat> but I initially actually um, got a job in the Cayman Islands, oh. <laughs> in the Caribbean, or the Caribbean as we call it in England. And uh, Cayman Islands is actually, uh, technically, it's a British overseas territory. So they, the kids in the schools there largely follow the British curriculum. And so it was really easy. If you, I mean, if you're thinking of traveling abroad uh, as a teacher, I really picked kind of like the easy, easy way to do it because I ended up in an English-speaking country or overseas territory of, Eng of, of the United Kingdom. And was basically teaching the same type of material, the same courses that I was teaching back in England. Uh, and it was, you know, England, where I grew up, is, is gray and dreary in the wintertime, like Seattle is. Um, I know you're from Wenatchee, so you probably see the sun in the wintertime, but we, we don't. <laughs> I, I grew up in Tacoma. Oh, okay. So and I've know. lived 55 years of my life on the west side. Okay, so, so I'm you're familiar, familiar with, the, with yeah. our winters, and yes. uh, so English English winters are grey and dreary, and and so to go from Cambridge, England, 
to the Caribbean was like, I'm on vacation permanently. This is amazing. And uh, it was it was great. You know, I got into scuba diving and spent countless hours just laying around on the beach at the weekends and looking around at the tourists, thinking how much they'd spent to get <laughs> to go on vacation there. Well, well, for me, it was free. So it was it was kind of fun. Um, but it, it's a very small island. It's 20 miles long. It's 10 miles wide. So it's like living, you know, in the San Juans. You kind of get that island fever a little bit. You can obviously get off the island, but it costs you a lot of money every time because you have to fly off. And so it eventually got to me that I was living on this tiny island and I decided to explore other opportunities in other countries. I looked again, wanting a little bit of the easy way out. I explored English speaking countries. I looked at Canada. I looked at the US. I seriously considered New Zealand and Australia um, and randomly applied for jobs around the world and ended up um, getting a job in Bremerton of all places. (laughs) So I went from Cambridge, England to the Caribbean, Cayman Islands to Bremerton. So it was kind of like a return to the gray dreary England, but, but a huge contrast physically from where I grew up, where I grew up in Cambridge was, we say flat as a pancake is literally, I think the highest point in East Anglia, which is that region of England is like a few hundred feet. Uh, And so to come again, you know, it it appealed to my travel uh, bug in me. Um, I wanted to go somewhere interesting that was different from just going back to Cambridge again and returning back to England. And um, so in 2002, I came to live in Bremerton. Um, I worked at a school there and um, eventually found my way across to the east side and have been working in another school in in Red, <clears throat> excuse me in Redmond um, since about 2003 2004 actually I only spent one year in Brampton not because I didn't like it but <clears throat> I think I wanted a, a more opportunities and the east side provided that with more schools and stuff okay so you took up scuba diving when you're in the Caribbean yep. did you know the Puget Sound is actually considered a excellent place to scuba dive Yes, and I actually haven't done any scuba diving here, but you're right, it is. Um, I think I'm a scaredy cat because it's so flipping cold here uh, <laughs> to go scuba diving. And I, it's, I know in the summer it's nice, but in the in the win- in the winter months you'd probably need a dry suit, and I don't have all the equipment, so I actually haven't dived or dove, as the Americans say, at all since I came to live in the states. Um, I did go back and visit the Caribbean a few times or a couple of times. And I did some diving then, but, um, yeah, I've kind of wimped out because of the cold temperatures in the Puget Sound, but, but I hear it's very nice. And I hear the, the visibility is surprisingly good. Actually. It doesn't, I, I don't understand. Cause I, I don't, I'm not a scuba diver, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of with you. The idea mm-hmm. of getting into say Puget Sound doesn't mm-hmm. sound like fun. It sounds cold and yeah. it might be, it might be interesting, but I think that's because you're so numb that you can't <laughs> see straight. I, I don't know. Anyway, I just, I've read that and I, I have friends that are scuba divers and they assure yeah. me that it is yeah. amazing. Well, right. and the Caribbean, the Caribbean has got fantastic visibility and such an array of 
fish and coral, I, I think it would be hard to beat that. Um, so I don't want to be disappointed if I went scuba diving around here and think, oh, this is not as fun, you know. It would be completely different, I'm sure, than, mm -hmm. than what you experienced originally. Yeah. All right. So you've you moved to Bremerton. You ended yes. up on the east side in the Redmond mm -hmm. you know, area. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> what came first, being a voice actor or uh, being the PA announcer? Oh, uh, definitely uh, the former. Um, but the former led to the latter. Uh, so I... I think I did, did one voiceover job when I was in the Caribbean and, and back in England, people have said, <clears throat> oh, I like your voice and whatever, but, but I'd never, never even considered that as uh, something to do. But when I came to live in the States, <clears throat> I think it's because the Americans genuinely like the British accent. A lot of people just commented, oh, I, I like your voice, you know, say something <laughs> they would say, especially the kids in school. And then they would also laugh every time I mispronounce a word or something like that. But but I think um, people enough people said they liked the sound of my voice and my accent that I that I seriously considered um, uh, pursuing voiceover work as, as a sort of a part time sideline gig kind of thing. And I honestly had no clue how to do that. Um, like I said, I hadn't. I hadn't really considered it back in England and, and hadn't really crossed my mind, but, um, but I decided I'm going to explore this. And I literally got on the internet and, you know, Googled, how do you become a voice actor? And, uh, <laughs> one of the things that, that stood out, um, was you, you, first of all, you should get some training. Um, if you can find somebody who trains professional voiceover folk and, 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 and th that was really my opening. So I actually, um, in in the Seattle area, there's a there's a lady named Veronica Wykell. I don't know if you've heard of her, but I have not. Um, she is um, very well known, especially in this area, as a voice trainer, as somebody you who you should go to if you want to get into the voiceover industry. So, and back in the day, so like 2003, 2004, when I started to look into this. She and her husband, who's an audio engineer, lived in Wallingford, and they ran like weekend courses training people to get into the voiceover industry. And I remember I did a couple of those <clears throat> with her, and it was a small group training. Um, and one of the things I remember her t telling me at the time, and I was quite in awe of, you know, she would drop in there. My past clients have done this and that, and and I was like, I haven't done anything really, and I was very much, you know open-eyed and in awe of the fact that she had these people who had done these amazing things but she did say to me you got to make sure that <clears throat> you get plenty of training because there's nothing worse than presenting yourself to an agent and you haven't got you got nothing no evidence to back it up that you're a good voiceover person so I did enough training with her and I cut a demo cd that was when cds existed <laughs> uh, cut a demo cd and i literally then went around using veronica's advice to to get yourself an agent and i literally drove from around seattle area and dropped off my cd and say hi i'm i have no experience in this but here's my demo i'd like to get into the voiceover industry would you give me a shot very uh kindly there was a agency and in, in kirkland named dramatic artists 
and they gave me a they I, I think they wanted a British person on their books so they said yeah we'll have you uh, which was great um, and and once you have an agent that that an agent basically sends you auditions and and gets you to record auditions at a home and to begin with um, Again, you know, you need to get equipped if you're going to get into the voiceover industry. I had a like a really awful microphone, which is kind of amusing because I'm just recording this on a really awful microphone at the moment. But <laughs> I actually do have a mini recording studio. And um, once I got equipped and, you know, they'd send me auditions and I'd send back my demo and, and, and the example recording for the audition. And I started to get a few jobs, not many. Um, it's... It's in, it was back then, and I think it's increasingly so uh, a very tough business to get into. Uh, there's so many people who are vying to be voiceover talents, and it's so easy now, actually, with the technology that's available. You know, like we're il illustrating now, we're talking to each other on microphones and whatever. You, a lot of people have access to the equipment to do this now. So, um, But I was able to... Uh, get a few jobs, not many. And one job I got in 2007 was for a product. It was actually Pacific Cod, <laughs> the fish. Okay. And um, the idea behind the little commercial that we were doing was uh, Pacific Cod is widely available. It's delicious. Compare that with Atlantic Cod, which is on the demise. And it was six British guys real British guys selected for this little commercial thing. We were sitting around a pub that was supposed to look like a British pub, but it was actually in Queen Anne. And we were bemoaning <laughs> the, you know, the collapse of the Atlantic cod industry. And then somebody pipes up, you know, but have you considered Pacific cod? And, and that was the theme of the commercial. Anyway, um, kind of a random thing, but it, it, it's, um, it was one of those doors that was opened uh, because what happened was two years later, the Seattle Sounders began a, 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 as an MLS franchise. And somebody from the organization reached out to me and said, and it just so happened that that, that was Victory Studios, which is where we recorded that commercial. It is the same recording studio used by the Seahawks and the Sounders who were then kind of in a business relationship somebody who worked for the Seahawks Sounders had also seen that Victory Studios commercial and said, we like the sound of your voice. Um, would you be willing to audition to be the, the stadium announcer, the public address announcer for the Seattle Sounders? And <laughs> I'm listening on the phone, like, and I was like, seriously, kind of, <laughs> I mean, I, I had zero experience in sports broadcasting, public address announcing. Um, so there was all of that. And then the other thing I was thinking of, at this point in my career, I was a school principal. So like, where am I going to find the time to do this kind of thing? Um, <clears throat> but I didn't say all that to him. I was just thinking it in my mind, you know, I'm the least qualified person you want for this job. But, <laughs> uh, but, but I said, oh, yeah, I'll come in. I'll audition for it. And you know, not surprisingly, I don't think I auditioned that well. Um, they certainly, they didn't, uh, in the end, select me to the, be the public address announcer at that point in time. 
but they did say, well, we really like your voice. Um, we, we would like to still use you for the club. There's, uh, there's something called gate scripts, which, which when you're buying tickets to a, to a, to a game or if you're walking up to the stadium, if you, you know, any sport will have this, you'll hear somebody over the loudspeaker system, the, the tannoy, telling people what they can bring into the stadium, what they shouldn't bring into the stadium, you know, where you can buy your tickets, etc. So they said, we would like you to use you for the gate scripts. And I, I think the reason for that was I probably had quite a formal sounding voice and um, people can quite easily understand my accent. I don't have a particularly strong regional dialect accent. And so they thought, well, you'd be good to be that person to just explain the rules and regulations, etc. So I was the, um, for the first two years, 2009, 2010, I did the gate scripts for the club, which was, which was, you know, looking back, that was a really good thing for my career, because I kept that connection with the club. Mm -hmm. You know, I, if I'd been a real diva back in 2009, I might have said, oh, oh, you've rejected me for this public address announcer position. I'm, I don't need your gate scripts, kind of thing, <laughs> which would have been a pathetic thing to do. But um, I'm glad I didn't because I kept, I kept that connection with the club. And as it turned out, at the beginning of 2011, I went in to record the gate scripts again because it's a pre-recorded thing. Mm -hmm. uh, this was like February 2011. And uh, the guy who was my contact said we'd actually uh it turns out the the public address announcer that was originally selected is no longer with us it turns out that um you know we're we're doing more auditions um would you like to have another go and i said yes and by this point i was a little bit more experienced in like you know i'd taken time to listen to public address announcers and and read about it and, and watch videos, etc. So I, I felt a bit more equipped to do it, but I still felt pretty green um, and not necessarily the most highly qualified person for the job. Um, but I said, "Yep, I'd love to. I'd love to give it a go." And uh, behind the scenes, I didn't know this. They were auditioning at other preseason games, and I think about oh, literally about four days before the opening game of the season they said well um we want you to we want you to call the opening game of the 2011 season so we want you to be the stadium announcer for that game that's going to be your audition it's like what <laughs> oh. so whereas in that 2009 all i'd done was gone into a studio and you know pretended to be an announcer in this case 2011 i was going to be the announcer at the game uh, and I had done one game, I forgot to mention, I'd done one game back in 2009. They'd called me in as, as a substitute announcer. Um, so I'd had my little uh, trial by fire back then. Um, so 2011, um, start of the season, March 2011, the game was against LA Galaxy. David Beckham's team, I think David was there at the time. So they came into Seattle and I announced that game. and. The rest is history. I've been wow. doing it ever since. Okay, so I've got some questions. Okay, I bet you have. <laughs> yeah, I've got some questions. <clears throat> I've lived my entire life at Washington State. Mm -hmm. But it does seem to me that Americans are totally enamored with the British accent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
are the British enamored with any accent? That's interesting. Uh, personally, I would say I love the French accent. Okay. Um, I think it sounds very romantic and um, okay. nice to listen to. Um, and I do like some of the American accents. <laughs> some, <laughs> but not all. I'll be diplomatic. I won't mention the ones I don't like so much. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> I just think it's funny. We yeah, it is. It um, is a strange phenomenon how um, different cultures appreciate other accents, and it's and it's it's a myth in a sense because if you think about the range of British accents, some of them are not pleasant. And I lived in Birmingham for ten years, which is uh, which is where Ozzy Osbourne comes from. Okay. Okay. I think that's one of the worst accents in the world. You know, my name's Ozzy Osbourne. I, I used to be the lead singer for Black Sabbath, and I, I bite the heads off bats or pigeons. You know, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, you, you're, you're, I just hate that accent. You, but, you yeah. articulated that way too clearly, by the way. Yes, we not, would not have been able to understand Ozzy yes. if he said that. But it's okay. funny, I'm not alone in that. In, I, I've read several articles that say, Within England, the British okay. people least like the Birmingham accent. So, and it's also a myth. I think people in America think, "Oh, the British are so intelligent because they can speak like that," and that's—I can definitely assure you—that is a myth too. Uh, but why not play <laughs> along with it? If well, they think yeah. intelligent and cultured, I'll—I'll I'll go with it. Take it. <laughs> when you took your voice over classes, yes. What did? What was the? What do they teach you? What was the training like? Yeah. Um, well, it's a long time ago now, so I'm having to think back. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it was kind of on-the-job training, as it were. They would give you a commercial script mm -hmm. uh, for some random product, and they would probably demonstrate, you know, the sound that they were looking for. With, with commercials... Um, uh, it depends on the type of the commercial, I guess. But, you know, they always want you to sound enthusiastic and, mm -hmm. and smiley. And literally, as you smile, you sound happier about a product. And you and you don't go down at the end of a sentence. You go up because that sounds much more interesting. And you vary the tone of your sentences because to listen to somebody speaking in a monotone is very boring and you'll probably switch off your radio. So that's the kind of thing they did it. And a lot of on the job trial and error, okay. recording, listening to yourself, critiquing that sort of thing. Um, but I guess it was, it was enough to teach me the basics. Um, okay. But I, you know, there are some people in the voiceover industry that literally make hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. Um, yeah. Uh, the he's now deceased, unfortunately. But the guy that did um, in a world the Don Lafontaine, you know, the mm -hmm. before every movie trainer in a mm -hmm. world where Scott Cowan became the baseball announcer for the Wenatchee Apple Sox. <laughs> you you already told me that, but that's you know oh people like that. They get a reputation, and they they're like. Okay, we'll give you the job, and they're like paid thirty thousand a spot. You know, that's never happened to me, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, you know, there's still time. There's yeah, still there's time. still time. Yeah. Before 
So this is the another preconceived notion that I have. Mm. Soccer, football, yep. is not it's it's growing in popularity in this country, but mm-hmm. it seems like in the rest of the world, mm-hmm. it is the dominant yes. attention grabbing sport. Yes. Were you a I'm just gonna say soccer, you know, sorry. Were you a soccer fan? Growing up, was this new to you? Well, like you said, it's uh, it's the dominant sport in the rest of the world. In fact, I recently read there are four billion fans of yeah. soccer, which you know, considering seems, the world's population, that's like oh, over half the world's population, I believe. It seems that actually seems small to me. I yeah, would, I, I would have said now. Yeah, I'd say six billion. Yeah, a bit. It, oh, yeah. It, it, it cycles a bit with the World Cup, you know, as mm-hmm. interest. Uh, wanes and and goes up or whatever um but yes growing up i i wasn't what one would call uh an ultra fan like i didn't have season tickets to a particular team but my first introduction to soccer football was probably as a seven eight year old going along to uh cambridge united games cambridge united is a um, soccer club in Cambridge that has a fairly small stadium. I think they can only seat like six or seven thousand, I believe. So it's okay. kind of a tiny club, but to the in my eight-year-old eyes, it was like this huge stadium. And uh, I, I was taken along by a friend in the village who did, I, I think, have season tickets, and that was my first introduction to professional football. And I've always enjoyed playing it as a kid in fact you know i would say 90 percent of kids in england grow up playing soccer at at break time recess lunch times and after school and at weekends with their friends it's a very easy sport to play you don't you just really need a ball Mm -hmm. you can make goalposts out of jerseys thrown on the ground you know um and i think that's part of the appeal of soccer is it's such an easy sport to do there's no highly technical equipment you need aside from the ball um so i so i played it and then i loved watching it i remember um back in 71 uh i'm 56 so that i would have been six then watching the fa cup and collecting these little medals for the fa cup teams that had won over the years because it was the centenary of the fa cup in that year and uh, so I've always taken a strong interest. I nowadays I'm I'm a one club person. I support the Seattle Sounders, but I but I get up every weekend. I don't know if you know it, but the English Premier League is broadcast every weekend here on a Saturday and a Sunday. You can get up and you can watch it on the TV. So I enjoy watching high tier, high quality soccer on the tv i love watching the world cup i watched the world cup qualifier last night between mexico and the u.s um so it's it's definitely a sport i like to watch and i like to not so much play now i'm getting a bit old but um but definitely it's i would consider my fan myself a fan but never i wasn't particularly loyal to any particular club in the uk um and now i'm consider myself a fan of the sounders so when you started the job you yep. already knew you knew the sport it wasn't like 
if they called me up to be the PA announcer, hmm. um, they'd have to, I mean, the learning curve would be, I just don't know the sport. Right. Yeah. No, I, so, that, and I think that was an advantage. Um, I, I, and I think the club probably wanted somebody, obviously, who knew the sport. I think the British accent was a bonus. Uh, it kind of added to that European feel, mm-hmm. flavor of the, of the sport. Um, but, yeah, coming in, knowing the game, uh, or the, not being an expert necessarily, and not, you know, n- never having really played at, at a high-tier level, that wasn't so much an important issue as just being familiar with you know the basic rules and regulations of the game. Okay. Let, let's let's talk then. So you started being the the PA announcer. Mm-hmm. So I'd like you to explain what the Sounders expect that role to do. Okay. What, what is your job expectation? Right. Um, <clears throat> well, on game day itself, I typically turn up a couple of hours before the actual kickoff of the game. Uh, there is a pre-prepared script, um, which can be, um, multiple pages long. A lot of it is, um, you know, short sponsorship reads, commercial reads for stuff, uh, for companies that sponsor the sounders. Some of it's rules and regulation reads. Um, some of it's like talking about what's happening on on the field it's um you know when the players come on uh to practice we'll announce them coming onto the field um i announce the lineups i announce the goals anyway i get so i get there two hours before in order to make sure that i go through the script mm-hmm. um, and, and i'm fully prepared i have had probably seen it before we have electronic scripts so i can access those before and Usually I've read through it once or twice before, even getting to the stadium. But that is a final read-through time. And then about an hour before kickoff is when I actually start talking because that's when they open the stadium up to the to the fans to come in. Okay. Um, so we'll start off with, you know, welcome to the stadium kind of thing. And, and then, yeah, that will go on for the next hour. Mm-hmm. There's, there's all sorts of reads before we actually do kick off the big thing is um i'll announce uh our team mm-hmm. and we have a very scripted method of doing that it's it's one of the highlights of the games so i'll say and here's the delta starting 11 for your seattle sounders football club and then i'll go through the roster the, the 11 players who are starting the game for the Sounders. And uh, I'll read their, I'll say their position, I'll say their number, and I'll say their first name. And then the crowd, it's very interactive. The crowd will chant back their second name. So it's really fun. So I'll go in goal, number 24, Stefan. And the crowd will chant back, Fry. He's our captain, Stefan Fry. So we'll go through our 11 players on that kind of call and response thing, uh, back and forth. And it's, I think personally for me, it's one of the highlights of the game because it's so interactive and I think the fans really like it too. So how did that come big... about? I mean, that you, yeah, that, that wasn't was... by design, was it? Or it, it, it evolved. Um, I think, um, 
I'm not sure they did it in the first two years, just quite like that. Um, and I can't remember exactly when it happened, but for as long as I can remember, we've done first and last name. And it, and it may be copied from another club around the world that does that style of announcing. Mm -hmm. um, but we do exactly the same thing for the goals as well. Uh, so that's really fun. So I'll go Sanders FC goal. Scored by number 13, uh, Jordan. And then the crowd will chant, chant back, Morris. And I'll say it again, Jordan. And the crowd will chant back, Morris. And I'll say it a third time, Jordan. And the crowd will say, Morris. So that's the way we announce goals as well. Again, it's a highly interactive thing between me and the crowd. And um, again, I think it's something that I think the crowd really enjoys. Yeah. Well, so that's very different than, say, baseball yeah, American football, basketball. Yeah. Right. Is this is this sort of call and response prevalent in other, uh, uh, like in the Premier League? Is that is it, would that be something you would see if I was tuning into yeah. a Premier League game? Actually, I don't think so much in the Premier League. I think this is an idea that came from Germany. Okay. Um, I think the Bundesliga, which is the German equivalent of the Premier League, did that and. It's been copied by several American teams, but um, it's, I would say it's a hugely successful way and, and fun way of doing lineups, doing goal calls. Mm -hmm. um, and it is kind of, like you said, it's kind of peculiar to soccer. Uh, I'm not aware of it in other sports. There may be other sports that do it. I'm not sure, but yeah. Oh, I like the idea of it because yeah. it, it, it engages the crowd. The crowd's the crowd's invested in paying attention and, and exactly and pay, you know going along. I've been to one Sounders match, uh -huh. and I was that confused guy up in the stands. You probably <laughs> saw me just looking yeah. around, going, "I'm not sure what's going on here." But it was fun. Right. I didn't know what was going on. This whole thing yeah. with scarves. I will yeah. get to that in a minute. You know, yeah. I don't understand. And mm. the whole the ritual of it, if you will. Yeah, was really yeah, I think it, you know, um, it's funny you use the word ritual. Um, I think, I think sports kind of like a religion to many people yeah. and it has its own rituals or liturgy mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. going, going to a soccer game is, is kind of like going to church, um, mm -hmm. but with a different liturgy. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's true for <laughs> absolutely true. Mm-hmm. So your your job so you're there a couple hours before your yep. your your mic is on for the first you know once the gates are open you're yep. you're on the job you're on the clock correct and then you're you introduce the roster now do, are you introducing the the opposition as well yes but not okay. so enthusiastic and so are you just going you know and now number five Bill Jones it, it kind of exactly like that actually um yeah I give them what 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 some fans have said jokingly the epitome of mayor <laughs> basically of as least well with with little enthusiasm you still have to maintain the volume because mm -hmm. they, the, the crowd has to hear you say the names you can't just mumble the names but right. basically i do the complete opposite of what you're not supposed to do as a voiceover talent okay you know, with a voiceover talent you're supposed to sound interesting and enthusiastic and you vary your tone a little bit and blah, blah, blah. But when I'm introducing the opposing team, 
and they get none of that. And so the, set- the crowd love it because they, in the south end of the stadium where the Emerald City, City supporters group, which is the biggest supporters group of the Sounders stand, they'll literally turn their back on the pitch and they'll look up at the big screen. And as I announce the opposing players, they'll shout back, who? You know, like, basically, you're an inconsequential person to me. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and that's, a, that's a way of giving, you know, relatively speaking, them, the opposing team, uh, not very much home advantage, whereas we get all the home advantage, you know? Right. Um, and it, it's, it's allowed. It's, it's, some people would say, well, that's not good sportsmanship to do that. But, but hey, that's part of the fun of being at home. You get to create that home field advantage and atmosphere. And I'll pump up our names. And if they score, if the opposing team scores, I will announce it just like I announced them as the roster. I will say goal scored by LA Galaxy. You know, <laughs> with a, with very little enthusiasm. I mean, enough <laughs> volume that the crowd can hear, but the crowd at that point are just ticked off that the opposition have scored. They don't want to hear me tell them, you know. So basically, well, I get get rid of that quickly, you know. It's it's the thing is also though is there's an entertainment value here. Oh yeah, and and this is I I I'm of the opinion. The way you're describing it mm-hmm. is this is good natured mm-hmm. showmanship. Yeah, it's, it's comedy. It's and, PA comedy. Um, and if and, you were to be if you were to be in attendance down in LA at a Galaxy's mm-hmm. Sounders match, mm-hmm. I would guess that your your peer for calling mm-hmm. the game for the LA Galaxy would do something exactly the same. Or yep. yeah, in his whatever his or her yep. style was. But yep. the Sounders name, they would and now, number five, Freddie Montero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're not mm-hmm. gonna. They're not gonna give us any enthusiasm. No. Now, um, the only time when you might get into trouble for doing that is if if you are maybe hosting at, at a neutral venue or something like that, and then then that's different. You know, you right. want you want to give equal weight to both sides. But sure. But normally, when we're at home, yep. I'll pump up our names. I'll be enthusiastic about our goals and the opposite for the opposition. Do you, have you ever given any thought to doing like, you know, radio or TV play-by-play? Do you want to do that? Or do you like this Hmm. role that you have? No, I like this role. And actually, um, I, I know the limits of my talent to be a play-by-play person. You really have to be, extremely knowledgeable about the support and i wouldn't put myself in that category usually a lot of the play-by-play folks are former players themselves or well they've just they've done enough commentary that they've really become very very good at it um i couldn't do that i I don't consider myself to have i don't know if you have this expression in america the the gift of the gab do you know what Mm -hmm. i mean by that yeah i do the ability to just ramble incessantly about anything right no, I, I think that the best play-by-play announcers are really very it's it's a highly skilled um job and i i don't think i could do that uh 
partly uh, partly because of lack of expertise, partly because I think I would run out of words, <laughs> and then okay. there'd be blank spaces, and people would wonder why I got the job. <laughs> so after the match is over, mm-hmm. are you? You, you, I mean, you started an hour before, so are mm-hmm. you still a, being a public address announcer after the match? Are you telling people to exit calmly or yeah. you know, um, remain calm all as well? Or Yeah, um, so I'm a public address announcer right through to the end. There's very little that's said during the run of play other than goal calls, substitutes, yellow cards, that sort of thing. Then there'll be a halftime break and I'll do my spiel again. There'll be 15 minutes of announcements and then after the game, it's there's a few closing reads, but typically they last no more than about 10 minutes, and then I'm done after the end of the game. So actually, that's quite fun. If there's an afternoon game, I'll go out afterwards with some friends, you know, who are fans, and we'll have a drink or go for a meal or something like that. Um, if it's an evening game and I've finished late, I'll probably just go home at that point. Okay. So during your career as the, the, the PA announcer, what's some of the memorable things that you've witnessed yeah um i have i mean a number of favorite things um trying to think now back back in i think it was 2011 one of our star players got injured broke his leg unfortunately in an away game his name's steve zakawani and then literally a year later to the day he came back after rehabbing and so introducing him onto the pitch as a substitute was uh, one of those spine-tingling moments. Um, 2014, we won the Supporters' Shield at home. And I'll explain to that. The, the Supporters' Shield is basically it goes to the team that has the most points in the regular season, okay. not including the playoffs. So in 2014, we were considered the best regular season team in the whole league. And um, winning that at home was really fun and announcing the goals for that. Um, uh, Some, you know, in 2016, I remember one of our forwards, Nelson Valdez, who hadn't scored for forever, finally scored in the playoffs. and And that was like, amazing and so announcing his goal and um in 2016 we won the mls cup which is the the equivalent of the super bowl basically the playoffs Mm -hmm. after the season has ended that was in toronto but i got to kind of introduce the players at a big rally downtown seattle that was fun um and then probably the highlight the biggest highlight of my career has been announcing the mls cup in 2019, which we won at home. Mm-hmm. And um, there were three or four years where it was the MLS Cup, Cup finalists were Toronto and Seattle. And this was the third time we'd met um, in the MLS Cup final. And we won it at home in front of the largest crowd ever at what was then CenturyLink Stadium. It's now Lumen, called Lumen Field. But mm-hmm. we've had, we had more fans in the stadium than at any other sporting event, including the Seahawks. So wow. we hold the the Sounders holds the record for that uh, sporting attendance, which was. But just the fact that we won it, and just being able to announce that at the end. I mean, I was, I was very nervous because I knew that you know, um, I didn't want to screw up, and it's such a big occasion. But I was also mm-hmm. so excited. 
because it it was my team that had won the MLS Cup, and so that you know, like you see in baseball, the World Series, or in the football, the Super Bowl, winning that is is the piece de resistance, as we say. Yes. Now, putting you on a spot, this is a, a this is like asking you which is your favorite kid type question. So I know it's going to be challenging. <laughs> Through the years, you've got to meet a lot of the members of the team, right? Actually, you know, that's interesting. A lot of people assume I mix and mingle with the team, but I don't really at all. Okay. Um, there's, there's a bit of a divide between folks who work in my line of work and the playing staff and coaches. Okay. But, but I know what you're going to ask me. Who's my favorite player? <laughs> well, no, and I'm, that's the question, but yeah. I have a slightly different variant. Like, okay. Who's the player that you'd want to go out to dinner with? Because you think it would be interesting to sit across the table and have a mm. an hour long conversation with this person, you know, over over food. Mm. Well, I just mentioned him actually. His name's Steve Zakuani. He's a former okay. player. Now he does he does color commentary on the play by play. He originates from Congo in Africa, uh, but he moved to London mm-hmm. um, as a kid grew up in London, played for Arsenal Academy. Just a really nice guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit, but I don't know him in depth, but I think he would be a fascinating person to get to know more. Um, other other folks, I'm trying to think. If you ask me my favorite player, uh, sure. one of my favorite players uh, in the past was a guy who's no longer no longer with the team. His name is Obafemi Martins. He's from Nigeria originally. Um, and he played alongside Clint Dempsey. Mm-hmm. In our, yeah. And I'm trying to think now. Uh, they, I think they both started at the club either 2013 or 2014. Brilliant pairing up front. They got a, they were just like magical to watch. Um, I don't. I honestly don't know much about Obafemi. I don't know whether it'd be a good for a sit-down dinner conversation. Sure. But but okay. he was he was one of my favorite players to watch, and it would be fun to just sit down and chat with him. I guess. Okay. If you could announce your dream eleven lineup, hmm. what would be some? Give me some examples of names that would be on there, and this can be from any league. You can you can mix okay. and match. Oh my gosh, that's uh, that's very challenging. Um, I think for the well, let me just go with the Sounders because that's easy. That's okay. the team I know the best. Um, okay. In goal would be difficult because we actually have had two star goalkeepers in our history: Casey Keller, who played for the U.S. Men's National Team, mm-hmm. and uh, Stefan Fry. So it'd be a toss-up between those um, for goal. Defenders. He's no longer with us, but I have Chad Marshall in defense. I probably have a couple of our current defenders. Um, Jemar Gomez Andrade and Nuhu, who's a fan favorite at the moment. He's from okay. the Cameroon. Midfield. Uh, not no longer with us, but I'd have Osvaldo Alonso. He played with us for many, many years. Um, let's see. I'd have to pick pro- probably, you know, our current 
Sounders team is very, very strong. So I picked uh, Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan, Nicolas Lodero. Um, let's see. I'm trying to find another midfielder who I'd throw in the mix there. Name's escaping me at the moment. But up front, I would have Freddie Montero, who is, again, one of our team's long-standing players. He actually went away and came back. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite forwards, Raul Rui Diaz, who's still with the team, and Clint Dempsey and Obafemi Martin. So that, I've probably chosen too many players there. But well, that's it, okay. That's okay. Those would be some of the greatest that have either played or still play for the Sounders. Okay. But if I so if this... I was going to pick some international stars, you know, you'd probably have to throw in Lionel Messi or, or someone like that, you know, because he's generally regarded as one of the best in the world ever. Right, ever, right. In your opinion, who's the Seattle Sounders' biggest rivalry? Oh, that's an easy question. That's Portland Timbers. And um, it's funny as a rivalry because it's a bit like Manchester United, Manchester City. It's like you're essentially from the same place. Right. And I think Portland and Seattle are very similar. Uh, they're both from the Pacific Northwest. They're culturally very similar cities. And yet there's a strong rivalry between them. And it has been since... 1975 actually when portland timbers came into being we came into being the year before that in a former iteration um mm -hmm. when we were in a older league a former league before mls so we've been playing essentially since 75 mm -hmm. and in three years time that will be a 50-year rivalry um wow. we um yeah the fans on both teams you know, they'll say they hate each other. <laughs> they, it's, but it's, but it's, it, hate in sport is, you know, it's it's just more banter. It's, um, no one really hates um, the opposing team, but they, um, or they might hate the concept of the team, but they don't hate the people, you know. Um, but it's a strong rivalry. We always want to beat them. Same, you know, Portland would say the same about us. They always want to beat us. You could have, you could have the greatest season Seattle season ever, but if you lost to Portland, that would be like, ah, oh, that would be the most disappointing <laughs> thing to happen that year, you know? Right. Uh, and last year we beat them 6 2 in Portland. So that was like, yes. Well, it's like if you go to baseball, like the New York Yankees. Yes. And the Boston Red Sox or something like that. Yeah. Well, just the Yankees, okay, that rivalry is, is real fierce, but. The, the, and I, I hate to use the word hate because that's mm. such a strong, yeah. They're they're despised. Maybe that's yes. a, I can get away with that word. Anyway, yeah. but nobody likes the Yankees other than Yankee fans. Yeah, because well, they always got all the best players, and yeah. they do this and they yeah. do that. Well, but you know, the sport would be much less interesting if yeah. there wasn't that type of yep. rivalry. If you know, if everybody was just meh. Yeah, you know. And to be honest. Um, the Sounders have been a very successful team since they started in 2009. We've won multiple trophies and we've gotten a little bit of a Yankees reputation, to be honest. It's like one of the teams that people don't like because we're so successful. 
Um, but I think the Portland fans in particular dislike us and, you know, we'll taunt each other on social media and uh, they've only won one MLS cup. And actually the MLS cup was hosted in Portland last year and they lost to the home. So that was, you know, you can imagine how ecstatic the Seattle fans felt about that. (laughs) Um, but there's lots, it's, it's back and forth banter. But the funny thing is, you know, like I said, culturally, we're so similar. If you met mm-hmm. each other in the street and you didn't know any affiliation, you'd probably be best friends with each other. Um, it's, it's kind of a silly rivalry in, in a sense. And so we like to think M- of them as our little brother. They're our little okay. brother from down south, you know. Okay. I'm sure they love that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in, in baseball, if you go to a Mariners game, the Toronto Blue Jays mm. seem to travel well to Seattle. Because okay. maybe because of the proximity to Vancouver hmm. and, you know, it, you go to a Mariners game when the Mariners aren't doing well hmm. and they're playing the Blue Jays and it almost feels like it's a, an away game. Right. Are there teams in the league that travel like that? Hmm. I mean, if somebody's coming to Seattle, does somebody, does the LA galaxy have a large fan base that travels with them? In, or is it, hmm. is it not like that in the, yeah, I would say apart from Vancouver and Portland, Vancouver Whitecaps in Canada, there's not there's not many teams that bring a, a ton of supporters with them. You know, because it's mm-hmm. it's it's given the distance between these cities, right. it's not an easy thing to do. Um, but there's usually, you know, and a lot of this is pre-COVID. You know, we, we, sure. um, but back in the day, Portland would bring i don't know two or three thousand fans up and we would do the same down there uh, vancouver mm-hmm. might bring not quite so many but a good contingent um there are a lot of teams clubs that we'll play and there'll be like 50 fans from the opposing team in the stadium and um but that's you know a lot of it's there you know teams like miami or something like that which are far far away and and right. maybe the only supporters that that have traveled are probably Miami fans that live in Washington state or something like that for some reason. Sure. Um, yeah, but, and we've got one of the best traveling groups around, but, but you know, the further it is away to play, you know, the, the fewer fans can afford to do it. It's, it's funny actually, because if you look at, you know, uh, England and the premier league, um, the city's, that are involved in the Premier League are so close to each other, relatively speaking. It would be like your furthest away opponent is in Spokane or something like that. Okay, <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, you know the the agony of having to travel all that way. That I mean, that's English perception of distance is is a lot different from American perception. I remember living in England and thinking, you know, if I traveled four hundred miles, that would be a long way away. But now mm-hmm. I, you know, live in America and I think, well. That's actually not very far away. <laughs> well, uh, there, you know, the state of Oregon is larger than Germany. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, there yeah. you go. We are a huge right. country. When you're not the PA announcer for the Sounders, what do you like to do for fun and entertainment? <clears throat> yeah, um, I uh, have a couple of dogs. I'm married. And I have. I don't have any biological kids, but I have some stepkids and I actually have a granddaughter. Um, so family and home life is really important. I'll either be playing with the dogs or playing with my granddaughter or um, hanging out with my wife. I like hiking. Uh, 
one of the things I really appreciate about the Pacific Northwest is the beauty of the place. And I like photography. I've got, uh, we happen to live in a, in a house that backs onto a stream. So I've got a couple of trail cams set up to okay. view the wild animals and stuff. So I'm very much into the outdoor life. If I can get outside, um, in the summer, I'm more of a fair weather hiker, but it, typically in the summer, I'll be out hiking up the mountains and I'll often go out on my own. I'm kind of introverted. I like to get away and okay. think about things and just enjoy the beauty of the landscape around me. Okay. So one of the questions I ask all my guests mm. will be the next question, but okay. because you're British mm. and I'm gonna, there's a stereotype. So I'm going to ask the question differently. Okay. Coffee or tea? Tea. <laughs> okay. Definitely. I'm a huge coffee fan, so I always ask people where to go for, for coffee. Right. And I, I do appreciate coffee. I'm just um, not as into it as I am tea. All right. Okay. Mm. That's fine. Where do you like to go for a good cup of tea in the area? Uh, my pantry. <laughs> to get that was the, a fair a fair answer. <laughs> to get the Tetley tea bags out of the cupboard, and the um, Tetley yeah. tea bags. Tetley, yeah. I get why my, why Tetley over say Lipton? Oh, ooh, I can't stand Liptons. Uh, they're a different. <laughs> Tetley is uh, kind of traditional British black tea in a tea bag, and and mm -hmm. and actually, tea aficionados would probably be looking down their nose at me now. The fact but that you're in the you're in the United States. I don't expect you to have access to a type of tea that a tea aficionado, yeah. aficionado would expect. Of you. Right, right. So I just so, use the Tetley tea bags. It's, it's traditional black tea. It tastes good. Uh, I stick a tea bag in the cup, pour it, pour in the hot water with my kettle, made from my kettle, heat it up with my kettle, I should say, and then add some milk and perfection. Okay. That's that's my okay. breakfast drink. And then okay. if I was to go out for a nice cup of coffee, I can recommend Victor's Coffee House in Redmond. I don't know if you've ever been to that. I have not been to that. Yeah, that's, that um, but uh, I can't say that I'm an expert in coffee. So, um, okay. yeah. I'm not claiming to be an expert. I just drink <laughs> way too much no, of I, it. I, I listened and to a couple <laughs> of your podcasts, and I, I, I knew that was a question that you um, yeah. You often answered of your guests, and I and I I could tell you were into coffee yourself. So, yeah, I enjoy. I drink way too much of it. I love. I love the taste of coffee. Mm -hmm. I I will drink tea. Mm -hmm. I have no discernible palate for tea. I mean, you could right. You could blind test me with the best coffee that you th or excuse me the best tea the best tea that you could possibly imagine. You're like this is amazing, and and give me you know a, a Lipton mm -hmm. and. I, I don't can't promise you that I would go. Oh, this is better. Yeah, <laughs> I just don't have the discernible palate. And I, I just know I like black tea or Earl Grey tea, uh, breakfast blend or something like that. I don't like um, what in England we would say herbal teas, or what in America mm -hmm. we say herbal. You drop the H. Right. I don't like right. herbal teas. I don't like fruity teas, minty okay. teas. I, I just give me black tea, please. Okay. So last question, direct question, I'm going to ask you, and then. Well, I'll let you have the last word. Okay. Do you go? Do you go home often? Back to England? No. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Do you talk to your friends from 
Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm okay. I'm on social media like Facebook connected with family only. So I, you know, back and forth with my family. I don't have a lot of um, friends because once you've once you've left a place and you know it's '98. I've I've been out of the country now 24 years. Um, you kind mm -hmm. of lose track of friends and stuff. Unfortunately, I've got some family I still connect with. My best friend from high school actually lives in America now, so um, mm -hmm. I'll talk to her every now and again. But um, the only reason I would go back to England is to visit my parents or my um, niece and nephew and their families. Uh, I generally don't go back very often, but we are going this summer. Um, okay. Last time we went was back in 2018. Actually, Seahawks were playing in London, so we made uh -oh. a combined trip to watch the Seahawks play and visit my family at the time. Um, but, right, so you know, cost is a prohibit prohibition, mm -hmm. and obviously with COVID, you know, it was sure. really hard to travel. So part two of the question is, mm -hmm. Friends, family, do do they ever have they ever commented that you don't sound the same mm. as you did? Have you picked up? Have you has your voice become Americanized? How's that? I believe it has. Um, most Americans would say who've never met me before and they listen to me, uh, they would say, "Oh yes, you've got a British accent." But I do get occasionally people say you're from Australia, and mm -hmm. I believe that's because if you combine a British accent with a bit of an American twang, it does turn into an sort of Australian, put another shrimp on the barbie, Bruce kind of sound. Um, and when I've gone back to England, last time I was back in England, actually, uh, might be the time before last, my sister commented that I sounded really funny. That was her expression. Um, and I think it's, you know, I've picked up Americanisms, uh, I'm sure my accent's changed. I've picked up words that you don't mm -hmm. use in England, so I'm sure I'm sat. I'm sure I sound weird. <laughs> I'm in this sort of middle of the Atlantic, stuck stuck, stuck somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic. Well, I will say now that you've said that, you, you, the the tone tonal quality mm. has Australian. Yeah, but. Your phrasing is nowhere near how the Aust what little few Australians I know. Mm. You don't put your words together like an Australian, so mm. I wouldn't have thought that until you okay. put the, yeah. But mm. it's because your your sentence structure is not the same. No. Okay. Mm. All right. So this is where I get, you know this is how I cheat every episode. I ask this question. Okay. So what didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? Well, you didn't ask me about my Narnia closet. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're right. So I'm going to, let me, let me set that up. Okay. So has it been on Twitter that you posted the pictures? It I must did, be. Yeah. I think I, I yeah, did. it was on Twitter. Yeah. So you were recreating the Narnia closet. Yeah. And so I joked it, before this episode went live, if you were in the Narnia closet, because then you said no, but, <laughs> I but so now, but not. Yes. <laughs> but what was the inspiration <laughs> and how has it been received? <laughs> Well, the unveiling of the Narnia closet will happen tonight. Uh, oh. Let me explain. Um, I have a granddaughter I mentioned, I mentioned previously. She actually literally lives around the corner, which is great. Um, so we're, we're very close with her. Her name's Moira. And um, it's just like one of the highlights of my life being a grandfather. 
and we have this downstairs closet, which is actually, it's actually bigger than the closet I'm sitting in at the moment, or at least it's longer, not quite as wide. It's about eight foot long by about three and a half feet wide. It's underneath okay. our stairs and it's where we hang our coats. So for some reason, I had this brainwave that I was going to convert the closet into the Narnia wardrobe, mm -hmm. but I've called it the Narnia closet sure. because it has the coats hanging up. So uh, I had this dream I was going to do this, and finally I got round to it last weekend. And um, <clears throat> I don't know if your podcast ever has links or anything, but you could link to a picture of it. If the, I, I if will. The I'll want link to, to do it. it. But, um, so I, in a Bob Ross kind of little trees type style, I recreated what I viewed as Narnia. So you go through the coats hanging in the closet and on the wall, I've painted trees, which are covered in snow with tree, brown tree trunks all around the both sides. And at the end, I've painted a lamp post because if you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when Lucy goes through the wardrobe, the first thing she sees in the land of Narnia, it's snow-covered and there's trees and whatever, but there's a lamppost with a shining light. And I've put um, blue sky and stars, which are a string of lights on the, wrapped around the ceiling, but one of the lights ends up as in the lamppost. So it's literally okay. like the lamppost has this real light shining. So I've recreated this and I put a white rug on the ground to simulate snow. And tonight, uh, Moira is coming around because we're having some guests around for dinner and she's coming around with her parents and I'm going to show her this. So I'm going to hopefully get a nice reaction video. I think she's going to love it because, you know, if you so. think of two-year-olds, three-year-olds, they love these, they love forts, they love creating mm -hmm. things out of cardboard boxes and hideaways and whatever. So this is mm -hmm. going to be what I envision to be a reading nook for her, where she'll be able to go and hang out. There'll be pillows in there and her cuddly toys and whatever. And she'll be able to, and one day I'm hoping I'll be in there reading the Chronicles of Narnia to her. And this will be like grandfather, granddaughter perfection. That's, that's awesome. Yep. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. I, I, I hope that you'll share the video on, yeah, on I will and we can, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, so I'll ask the, I'll, I'll re-ask the question. Okay. What else could I, should I have asked you besides mm -hmm. that? Because we had talked, we were going to talk about that and I, yeah. I did drop that one. So what else mm -hmm. could we, should I have asked you? I can't really think of anything. You asked me all about PA announcing and things like that. Um, I'm definitely a fan of the Sounders. Uh, not all PA announcers are fans of the club that they announce for, but and I've never announced for any other type of sport, which is kind of interesting. Um, a lot of do PA you want to? Nope. Okay. Right. <laughs> I uh, I'm very happy announcing for the Sounders, and if I retire as the announcer of the Sounders, um, I'll be very happy. I have one goal left. And, um, and that is in 2026, Seattle is in the running to be one of the cities to host the World Cup, not the World Cup final, but the World Cup competition. It's already, mm -hmm. been, it's already been approved that Canada, 
Mexico, the United States will host the 2026 World Cup. And hopefully, Seattle Lumenfield will be one of the host locations for a few of the games. So mm -hmm. that would be my dream okay. to announce um, a World Cup game. I've previously had the privilege of announcing the US men's national team, the US women's national team, several other oh, international wow. teams in, in, in um, international competitions that have happened at Lumenfield. But announcing the World Cup will be such a fun experience. Okay. Oh, that's, that's a, that's quite the bucket list item. Yeah, to have. it would be a bucket list okay. item for me. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time thank and, you. and sharing your story with us. Cause I, I think it's great. Thanks. I do have one last question. I like, okay. I have one last <laughs> question. I've been to, like I said, I've been to one hockey, excuse me. Well, I've never been to hockey and I was talking to the Krakens announcer a yeah. couple weeks ago and that one's still in my brain. Yeah. I've been to one Sounders match. Mm -hmm. If I go to an, well, not yet. I will go. When I go to another Sounders match, mm -hmm. where should I sit for, because I don't know what's going on in the sport. Mm -hmm. So where would be a good spot in the stadium for a novice to watch the game? You want to get up high so that you can get a, perspective of the whole pitch so as high up as you can in the second tier the club level they call mm -hmm. it um unfortunately the third tier is usually closed off we used to have that open before covid but they've changed that now so get up as high as you can just so you can get a good pitch perspective and i mm -hmm. recommend you take a soccer loving friend with you mm -hmm. and ask ask him or her what's going on what's happening in the mm -hmm. game at this moment in time um i i think it's a fairly simple to understand game but people will tell me baseball simple to understand and i don't understand it you know so uh, it depends on your you know you know your experience growing up watching it etc but i don't think it's that complicated we do have a few complicated things there's something called offside which i won't begin to try to explain to you um, yeah, because I don't want to escape. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. I don't want to confuse anybody. Um, but uh, basically, um, yeah, get up high so that you can see the whole pitch end to end. Maybe midfield position um, would okay. be good. If you wanted to just go and soak up the atmosphere towards the south end, there's a group called the Emerald City Supporters. Uh, they are uh, a raucous crowd who wave flags and cheer and have chants and stuff and that's fun to watch but you don't want to be standing behind them because your flags the flags might obscure your view of the pitch so if you're wanting to kind of learn more of the game maybe the southern end but not right behind the goal more the sides of the southern end of the stadium which is what they call the broem end that's actually where i am i'm in the third tier level in the southwest corner of the stadium the announcing booth okay all right. Yeah. Well, again, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me. And I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me on. I appreciate it too. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.